Comfy Cozy Witchy friends, and welcome to episode number 50 of the Comfy Cozy Witch Podcast with me, Jenny Blonde, the Comfy Cozy Witch. And I thank you so much for being with me here today, and I thank you even more for tuning into 50 episodes. I guess this is a milestone, 50, five, zero. I have recorded 50 episodes after today. So thank you for being with me. Thank you for listening and for all of your support over these seasons as I have been doing the Comfy Cozy Witch podcast. It has been a blast so far and I can't wait to bring you the next 50. As promised, as I teased in an Instagram post last week, I have some exciting news that I'll be sharing with you all on the podcast today. News that I have been sitting on for five to six months that finally I can share. And then I'm going to talk about ancestor work and working with your ancestors during the Samhain season and beyond, and what that can look like, some tips, setting up an ancestor altar. We're going to talk a little bit about cemetery etiquette as well, and then we'll go into the card pool. So before I get into that, I'm going to share my big news in the segment about what's making me feel comfy, cozy, and witchy. All right, so I have been so excited to share this with all of you and announce this for the last six months, but it is now official, so I can tell you all that I have written another book, and it will be published next October. That's what they're shooting for, October of 2024, and it comes out with Harper One, which is the um, spiritual imprint of Harper Collins. And I am beyond excited. It's called, right now, The Comfy Cozy Witch's Guidebook. And it is a book that discusses the tenets of a comfy, cozy witchcraft practice. So I have seven tenets of a comfy, cozy practice. And then it goes into a an interactive book where readers can discover their own authentic magical practice rather than rely on practices of others. It's just about self-discovery and creating a practice that is authentic to you. And this book has been in my mind for quite some time, and I am just so thrilled that it is coming into the world, and I've been wanting to announce it, and I've been wanting to shout it from the rooftops and tell all of you. But unfortunately, due to contract stuff, I wasn't able to do so. Because in the traditional publishing world, and I kind of have talked about this before, contracts at different publishers can take a really long time to A, negotiate, but also um, just be put together. Uh, for some reason, larger publishers, it just takes them longer. And so I've actually known since, oh gosh, I think it was the end of April that this was happening. And I am now just announcing it in October. But I finally got the green light and signed the contract right before we left for Disney. And so it's happening. The Comfy Cozy Witches Guidebook. I am so excited. And, you know, I'm 
I've been excited with every single book that has been published. And this book publishing process, this one, or I guess not book publishing process, but the the querying process and, and getting the deal, this one was different than the others. And so I thought I would just take a minute or two and share with you how that all happened. And because I know many of you have asked me about the writing process and getting published in the witchcraft world and getting published in general. And, you know, I have been published fiction, nonfiction, and um, picture books, traditionally published, and I've been self-published. So I have a lot of experience and I can talk to all the different (laughs) forms of publishing. And I have to say, this is my first big five publishing house book deal. So it's one of the largest publishers in the world. And so I just feel incredibly grateful and incredibly lucky that this all happened. Um, And a lot of hard work, of course, went into it as well. So I just want to chat a little bit about how, how this came to be. So as you know, I have my book with Wiser, my hearth and home witchcraft book, my first adult nonfiction title on witchcraft. And that book was just such a joy to write. It was so, I don't, uh, it was a book of my heart. I've talked about that before. Um, And it was very much focused on my personal anecdotes and my personal experiences and then making, you know, having a hearth and home practice. And we talked about kitchen witchcraft and your sacred space and the home is a sacred space. It was very much hearth and home centered. And I knew that I wanted to write a book that helped other people, helped other seekers and I guess more experienced practitioners create a practice that was more authentic to themselves. So a book that is more personalized in nature to the reader. Whereas Hearth and Home was more my experiences, I wanted to create a book about everyone else's experiences and developing their own practice and helping them do that. Or in coming back to a practice, because there have been a lot of practitioners who have listened to the podcast, have reached out to me, and have been practicing for years, even decades, and are trying to find their way back to an authentic practice that works for them. So that's what this book is about. It's about seekers new to witchcraft and experienced witches who are trying to find a way back to their practice. Um, And it really is for anyone in general, whether you call yourself a witch or not too. It's about finding your magic, your brand of magic. So anyway, I wrote the proposal for this book and I queried literary agents. This was back almost a year ago. This was uh, right before Thanksgiving of 2022. And I sent out a series of query letters. Long story short, I ended up having five agents that wanted to work with me and wanted to work with this book. And um, so I had to choose an agent. I interviewed them on the phone. Uh, it was it was a surreal process. And again, I feel so grateful that I had the opportunity to do that because I know that it is rare to have so many agents interested 
And so two weeks later, so two weeks after I queried, I ended up signing with my current agent that I have now. And um, we worked together. We talked about the book a little bit. She ended up moving agencies. (laughs) Um, So I stuck with her while she moved agencies. And I ended up staying with her for my witchcraft works. And I'm, I stayed with another agent who wanted to represent my fiction, my children's fiction. So I actually now have two literary agents, which is kind of crazy. Um, and then, so my agent, her name is Lauren. We ended up revising the proposal uh, for, I would say, over a month. We went back and forth revising, three weeks to a month, back and forth revising the manuscript. And then it the beginning of April, I think it was, is when it was ready to go out. And she had been talking to a number of publishers about the book. And so she pitched them the book. And then they had the formal proposal a little bit later. And a week after that, again, this happened so fast, and it was so surreal. Um, A week after that, I had interest from five different publishers. And as it turned out, four of them ended up bidding for my book. So my book ended up going to auction, which is just a a crazy whirlwind of an experience. I had Zoom calls with all of the editors who were interested that week, uh, where I talked to them from anywhere from a half an hour to an hour to, to see their vision for the book. So I talked to these editors, um, and I got to know them. And then the book went to auction and I had to weigh you know, their bids. And I had to weigh that with my experience with them and their vision for my book. And it was such, it was such a difficult decision, very much like it was when I chose my agent. It was such a difficult decision. Um, I felt grateful that I was in that position, but oh my goodness, the stress level was just through the roof (laughs) for me. And I had to think, okay, you know, which publisher would I work best with, which editor, and has a vision for my book and um, could see it coming to fruition with. And ultimately, I ended up going with the editor at HarperCollins at Harper One. And we just really clicked. She had a really great vision for the book. In fact, I ended up revising the proposal one more time with her. And then I signed then I signed with them well I guess months later the I guess you you have an unofficial book deal but you can't formally announce it until the paperwork is signed and so it got signed as I said in October <laughs> right before we left for our vacation to Disney World and yeah so that's what happened so the last few months my deadline was September 5th I believe so all summer between running, you know, being home with my son and running him around to camps, I was also writing a book. <laughs> I was fit, I was writing the entire book because I had only submitted the proposal and one or two chapters. So I had to write the whole thing. And it just, the experience of writing this book, it was that, ma- I mean, it truly was magical. Um, I would work at my shop you know, Wednesday through Sunday, and then Mondays and Tuesdays, and even the mornings before I opened the other days, I would focus on writing. And I I got to think about 
I, I got to kind of rewind and go back to when I was a newer practitioner, what I wish I knew. And even, you know, eight, 10 years ago, whenever I came back to my practice as, you know, kind of an experienced practitioner, as I came back, what would I have liked to know as well? And even now, as an experienced practitioner, what I would want to see in a book. So all of those things went into the creation of this book. And again, it's the Comfy Cozy Witches Guidebook. And I don't know if that title will stay. I'm hoping it will because I I love being able to have me, you know, the Comfy Cozy Witch, me in the book title. And we'll see. We'll see if it stays. But that is my big news. I wanted to share with you all. It, it was quite a journey from getting my agent to getting another book deal to writing the book and something that I I was very solitary in because I couldn't share it. I I legally, I guess contractually almost was was unable I was unable to share it. And so I'm so glad that I can share it with you now and I wanted of course to share it on the podcast. And I'll announce it on Instagram and other places soon, but I'm just very excited and I will keep all of you up to date as as I learn more. I'm hoping that if you like hearing about this, the the publishing process and the book writing process, I'll update you on the next step and what it's like during the cover design and then what happens um, when it goes to edits and I can share with you, obviously, you know, the cover reveal, I'll share a link whenever it goes live the for pre-order, all of those things. So thank you for listening to me ramble for 12 minutes about my new book. I am so excited. I can't wait for you all to read it. And again, I'll keep you updated about that. So that is what currently is making me feel comfy, cozy, and witchy. And I'm so glad that I could finally share it with you all. Well, in the spirit of announcing things, I might as well just tell you about something else. I wasn't going to in this episode, but I thought, you know what? No, I'm just going to bring it up now. Um, So I would really love to travel with you all. Um, I've been wanting to visit sacred spaces around the world, particularly in the UK, um, where my a lot of my ancestors came from. And so I'm planning I'm planning a trip. I'm planning a trip. Hopefully I'm hoping to Scotland or England. It really depends on what everybody else <laughs> wants, but I I want to take a trip where it would be a small group of anywhere from like 12 to 24 people we can meet and do some workshops. Again, I'm hope I'm hoping for somewhere in the UK we would have we would get to stay in really amazing sacred historical sites. We'd get to visit historical sites, learn about the history there. Um, I'd also host workshops while we're there. We'd do some rituals, some guided meditations, and just spend time together talking about our practices and our lives and whatever else. So this is something that I've been thinking about for, I guess, a little over a year. And and now I'm ready to move forward with it. And so I'm just, I'm in the preliminary stages of this. So I want to get an idea of who would be interested, if people would be interested in doing a trip with me. Um, 
And so I have a survey that I would love for you to fill out if this is something you're interested in. I will put the survey link in the show notes and you can go there, fill out the survey. Um, so I have an idea of, you know, how many days you might want to travel, what your budget would look like, where you would want to go. Again, I really, I think the UK, <laughs> I would love to go to the UK. Um, but any place really where you would be interested in going, just, you know, fill that out. And then I will keep you posted on the next steps because I, I'm ready to move forward with this. And I'm hoping that you all would maybe want to do this with me as well. So that's a little bit of exciting news as well. Something that's been in the works for a while. I'm, I'm finally moving forward with it. So yes, the book. So excited. Possible comfy, cozy witches trip. That's in the works. Yes. And, and who knows what else? My gosh, I have the shop. I have enough else going on right now. But those are the two things that I wanted to share with you right now. So anyway, let's get into working with ancestors because I've been rambling on about these other things. So let's get into the main topic. So I'm excited to talk a little bit about ancestral work today and working with our ancestors and our magical practice, what that can look like, especially as we approach Samhain season. I mean, we are merely, what's today, the 22nd? We are, what, eight, nine days away from Samhain and the start of Samhain season. And I know many of us are feeling that veil thin. I mean, it's pretty much lifting at this point. The veil is super thin. Our ancestors, I'm letting Reese in right now because she's winding at the door. Come on in, Reese. Our ancestors are ready to work with us. Our guides are ready to work with us. And so I thought this was a great time to talk a little bit about that. Um, I know two years ago, I did a segment on working with our ancestors at Samhain. I'm pretty sure that was a shorter episode. Um, but go back, listen to that again if you would like. Um, and some of these things, I might repeat myself from that episode for just a few things, but I'm, I'm trying to, to keep it a little bit different, but go back and listen to that. Listen to this as well. So ancestral work is incredibly <laughs> personal, like so much in our magical practices. This is just another thing that is personal in nature and that no, two practices will look or be exactly the same. No two practitioners will approach it exactly the same. Working with your ancestors isn't just something that's a one-off thing. You do it once a year, you do it once in your life and you're done. It's really a journey um, of a journey that helps lead to shifts within your practice um, it helps you grow in your practice. It helps you understand your ancestors. And when you find that you can get in touch with those ancestors, they serve as guides in your life as well. So it's not just something, as I said, that's a one-off thing. It is a journey that that will grow over time and as you work with your ancestors. And a really good time to connect with them definitely is the Samhain season because the veil is lifted or the veil is thinning. And it is a time where, where we 
honor those ancestors and all of our past loved ones. And so I thought this was a good time to talk about that. But I did want to remind you that it's not just something like, oh, it's the season for ancestor work and then you're done with it. Or, oh, this is the year I'm going to do ancestor work and then you're done. It really is an exploration and a journey that helps you grow and it changes over time. The way you work with your ancestors might change over time. Um, So again, it's personal in nature. It's different for everyone. I am just one person, one practitioner talking about ancestor work, but there are so many other practitioners you can listen to, you can connect with, books you can read about this. I've read so many books that have informed the way that I work, and I'll list some of those books at the end here. Um, But anyway, there are two main sides of ancestor work. One is the genealogical ancestry and one is more spiritual ancestry. And you know, I have had people reach out to me lately in the last week actually saying that they really want to connect with their ancestors but they don't know who they are or they're they're adopted or they're with their found family and they don't know who their ancestors are. Can they still connect with them? And I would say yes, you absolutely can, but you don't have to. But let's talk about genealogical ancestry and spiritual ancestry. So genealogical ancestor is someone you are genetically descended from. That is someone who is a member of your flesh and blood. Again, it's genes. You're genetically a descendant from. This can be your parent, aunt, uncle, uh, uh, grandparent, and it can go way back to your great, 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 great grandmother, your 25th great grandfather, your 23rd great uncle or aunt, and so on. So that is genealogical ancestor. Your spiritual ancestor is someone that is connected to you, that is connected to your practice, even to your religion, but not necessarily connected to you in a genetic way. Um, it can be a spirit that you've worked with for a long time that you've linked to. It can even be a practitioner whose work has impacted your own work or has inspired your craft. So it can be a a person of note, a folkloric figure. So you can have a spiritual ancestor as well. And so people who ask me, oh, I don't have a genealogical ancestor. Who do I work with? You can work with those spiritual ancestors who have really shaped witchcraft or shaped your practice in some way or someone that you've always felt a really strong connection to. You can consider those your spiritual ancestors. And sometimes our spiritual ancestors are also our genealogical ancestors. I know for for me, I have my uncle Billy who you know was a braucher and so he was a magical folk healer and he is my flesh and blood, but also I look up to him as a spiritual ancestor. Um Some practitioners only work with genealogical ancestors, and that's fine too. I mainly work with with my genealogical ancestors because I know who they are. I know from where they've come. I know pretty much where they've lived, especially the ones that are closer in time to me. 
Um, and some people only work with their spiritual ancestors. And some work with both, as I said. It can be whatever you want it to be because it is so personal in nature. Um, and and like I said to ancestor, although I say you have your genealogical and your spiritual, if you let's say you were you were adopted and you your parents, your the parents who raised you, your adoptive parents are your parents. They are your ancestors as well. That's how I see it. Not all practitioners do. There are some who are very, you know, firm with, oh, no, it has to be of your blood and bone. But I don't believe that because I know we can all have our found family as well, our found ancestors, and you can definitely connect with them. So ancestral work is honoring and and this comes this comes from crossbone.com. So just if you want to check that out. Uh, I was able to find some good information there and kind of intertwine it with my practice. But ancestral work is honoring and preserving the legacies and work of those who have come before you. So it's honoring them. It's preserving those legacies. Uh, It's communicating with those ancestors. It's sharing in their wisdom. It's making room for them in your life and in your practice. And when you make room for them, it's not just on a spiritual level, but physically you're making room for them. And we'll talk about, you know, creating that altar and sometimes creating a beneficial arrangement of you helping or honoring them in exchange for their help or guidance. Sometimes you can have those ancestors be your part of your guide team, your spirit team that guides you. Uh, It doesn't happen too often, but it can happen. Ancestral work is also engaging with and honoring and preserving those ancestral, familial, and cultural practices and traditions. The ones that are from the greater good of all, because I know there's a lot of trauma with working with ancestors. There's a lot of trauma in in our past, in some of our pasts. And so you can determine how you want to preserve certain parts of their legacy there so it can be <laughs> ancestral work can be touchy especially when you have ancestors who were not really great people you might you're not going to want to work with them and not going to want to connect with them you'll want to reconcile some of those feelings within yourself by perhaps connecting with other ancestors um who were better <laughs> who were good people but there are some ancestors we don't want to work with and there's a lot of trauma that can be brought up when working with them. So I would do I would work with those very carefully. Um but also ancestral work is healing as I was saying those ancestral wounds and repairing that ancestral trauma and that's something that takes ancestral work I think to the next level. It's something that's a little more difficult, a little more touchy. Um and something that there's enough content for another episode, but because I, I just want to kind of talk about the basics and what ancestral work is at its core. So when it comes when it comes to ancestor work, I want to talk about some steps that you can take when when doing this. The first step, which I I'm pretty sure I mentioned two years ago on the last podcast, is doing some research. When it comes to genealogical ancestral work, even spiritual ancestral work, when you're really connected to someone, 
it's important to learn more about them. Start with learning about their background, but start with learning about your background, particularly if it's genealogical ancestral work. You might have access to this genealogical information, which does make it easier for you. I, I'm very fortunate that I have the stories from my Nana, from my mom, from my aunt about my ancestors and, and their, their work in the magical world. And I know I'm fortunate to have this. And my Nana loved to talk about all of our aunts and uncles and grandfathers and great grandfathers. So <laughs> I grew up knowing a lot, which was wonderful, but not everybody can. And so if you have living family members of your family that can assist you, that can answer your questions, go to them. They, they might have knowledge about your ancestors that you haven't heard before. And a lot of times we go through life, we have our parents, our grandparents, our aunts, our uncles, and we talk about what is going on in the present moment, what we're looking forward to in the future, but we don't always talk about the past and our ancestors. And so I urge you to reach out to them and talk, ask them questions, ask them, hey, what was great? great Aunt Rose like? What was my great grandfather like? Tell me some stories. Try to get to know them through the stories of others. Um, That the oral tradition, the passing down of stories by word of mouth is so important. And I think that gets lost, especially in our modern modern time. So talk to those uh, family members who might have stories. And For those of you, again, who are adopted or may have little to no link to your genetic heritage or family, um, you might want to reach out to those who might have that information, or you might want to work exclusively with spiritual ancestors, which is okay. Working with those ancestors within your practice or ancestors that are connected to the land uh, where you live or from where, where you're from, you can work in that way. But if you do have family you can speak to about ancestry, that's a good place to start. That's good research. So take notes on names, dates, information they give to you. I have a notebook. Um, it's, oh my gosh, I had, I've had it for years, but I sat down before my Nana passed away. I remember sitting down at her kitchen table and just asking her questions about Aunt Jenny, Uncle Billy, Aunt Alma, and writing all the information down. And then I got the dates of birth from my mother for a lot of my ancestors, particularly my Aunt Aunt Florence uh, and Uncle Rush, because those are the ones that came to me through the Ouija board when I was 11 years old. But that's a whole other story. I'm pretty sure I talked about an episode like two or three, four years ago that you can listen to on your own time. But you know, I ask for the dates. It's a really good idea to get to get those dates. I, I, I wanted their dates of birth and death because I created um, a soul tarot journal a couple years ago where I looked at the soul numbers and soul cards of some of these ancestors that have informed my practice and and kept like track of some of their stories. So that's just one thing that I did as part of my ancestor work. But to start, take notes on names, dates, any information that is given to you. 
And once you have that information, you can hunt down information online as well. I mean, we, we are in the digital age where information is at our fingertips. <clears throat> and there are, of course, websites that can provide assistance with those sorts of things as well. You have your ancestry websites too. There are also government historical archives that you can access, birth records, death certificates, marriage certificates, all of that. And they can be really great in helping you kind of uh, connect the dots of where some of your ancestors lived, where they've come from. So this is the, the first step of ancestor work is just the research. I wouldn't say the first step is sitting down and connecting with them immediately. It's nice to have a little bit of background knowledge before you connect with them. And not all is lost. If you don't have a way of accessing information about your your familial ancestors, or if you're just not comfortable talking to family members, there's a lot of trauma with interacting with family. Um, if you're not comfortable doing that, it's okay. Just start with what you have. You might know some names. Maybe you know some dates. Just start researching. Um, again, you you have those spiritual ancestors as well. And you have those ancestors, those elders that are tied to the land you're from or whatever you're practicing, whatever faith or religion or spiritual uh, path you are on. There are ancestors who have shaped your practice, who have shaped you to be who you are today. So think about who those spiritual ancestors might be. So again, when I say ancestor work, I'm just repeating this. If you can't connect with your blood ancestors or you don't want to or there's trauma there, stick with your spiritual ancestors who have informed and guided your practice. Okay, Um, another great thing that you can do is exploring your cultural, your culture, learning more about your cultural heritage, exploring that a little bit deeper. And I think that this is another great way to start strengthening the foundation of those ancestral connections and practicing your cultural traditions, keeping them alive, that's important. And it's an act of living remembrance or active remembrance whenever you are participating in some of your cultural practices. And remember, these celebrations in your culture, these are sacred acts. And so when you're doing this, I just, I, I do want to caution you to be wary of cultural appropriation. You know, you know, if you know who your ancestors are, you know the culture from which they came um, and where which they are, practice that. But it's when you start jumping out and, you know, doing sacred, I guess, performing sacred rites of other cultures that's where it can get a little bit touchy. So just, I caution you a little bit with that, but get to know, but there's nothing wrong in researching any culture, nothing at all. And exploring culture, it might sound intimidating, but it can be simple. So anyone, I mean, no matter what culture, you can listen, listen to the music of that culture, learn some recipes of that culture, incorporate them into your diet, research the history, the folklore, the mythology from your ancestral homelands, learn the language that your ancestors spoke. These are all really great steps in connecting with the culture. 
and to learn about those worlds from where they came and to start building that bridge between you and those who came before you, those ancestors. And yes, I just, I love that. Another thing when you're working with ancestors is to establish some sort of intent for yourself. (laughs) Oh, there she, oh, you know, it can't be an episode without Reese saying hello. Oh, what's out there? What's out there? Oh my goodness. I let her out. I don't know what she saw. She saw something out there. I think the, I don't know what's going on. Anyway, let me, let me just take a break. She might have to go outside and calm down for a minute and then we'll talk. We'll jump back into establishing an intent. All right, I'm back. Establishing intent. So it's important to know why you are taking up an ancestral practice, ancestral work. What is your motivation behind this? Maybe you've done some research before um, and you're ready to just dive a little bit deeper. In some practices, in some cultures, ancestral work is a sacred duty, uh, a respect we owe to those who came before us. Uh, It's about honoring those ancestors, not about getting anything in return. Uh, However, there are some that, that do want, do want something in return, and that's fine. But you need to establish your intent behind it. Do you want to reach out to your ancestors to seek guidance? Are you looking for help with your practice? Are you looking for a connection that can assist you whenever you're doing divination work um, and you want guidance when it comes to divinatory methods? Maybe you're going to go about making your connections differently than someone else whose soul intent is to just preserve their practice, preserve that tradition. So really think about your intent behind establishing a connection with your ancestors. And when you, when it's time to reach out to them, so you've done the research, you're ready to reach out to them, make your intention clear to them. So they know if they need to help you in what way, they know what you're asking of them. So I think it's important to have an intent because it's best to start things off with an honest, sincere approach rather than, um, I just, I just want to connect with you and that's it. (laughs) Like have some reason for this connection. What do you want? Do you want to grow as a practitioner? Again, do you want help with divination? Do you want their guidance? Do you just want to sit with them and talk with a friend, with a family member, with a spiritual advisor or a a blood ancestor? All of that is fine. All of that is completely normal, but you just need to decide what that intent is. And it can definitely be all of the above, all of the above. For me, it's all of the above. (laughs) Okay. So reaching out now, so reaching out to your ancestors and making connections. Once you've done some research, once your intention is clear, once you have a better understanding of ancestral work, spiritual ancestors, hereditary ancestors, it's time to start reaching out. And there are so many ways to do this. Again, it's up to you how you want to reach out. 
there can there might be a specific way that you would want to do it, but maybe not. So I'm just going to give you a couple a couple ways that you can reach out and just begin that process of honoring them. First is creating some sort of altar, an ancestor altar, or even a shrine. That's a really great stepping stone because it tells it tells your ancestors that you are willing and ready, and you have a space for them that you have created a tangible space to honor them. And so in this area, it can be as elaborate as you want. It can be as simple as you want. Mine, I've talked about it before. I'm looking at it. I'm turning around right now. It's on a shelf behind me where I have the cloth that I I burned a hole in at my Nana's house uh, from the incense. And I have pictures of my past loved ones. I have some figurines. Uh, but it's up to you. There's some candles up there. So you can have candles. You can light candles in memory of your ancestors. And you can light them as an invocation to your ancestors in ritual or when you're trying to communicate with them. And candles, they make really great offerings. You might want photographs of your ancestors or artwork, symbols, items that represent them. And these serve as a physical representation and as a physical link between where they are now and in our realm. And again, it's much easier during this time of year to make that link, to make that connection because the veil is so thin. And if you have photographs of family members you'd like to use, uh, you can include those around or on your altar. As I said before, the artwork, symbols, all of that. Um, if there are any significant or sacred plants or herbs, or even like I think of my, so my Grammy, she would always have me go to the garden and pick mint for her mint tea. So if I ever want to work with her or just honor her, I like to use mint. So not that it's a sacred plant, but to me, it's a significant plant in my relationship with Grammy. And think about any any significant plants, trees, flowers to you and to your ancestors. That's another good thing that you can keep on your altar. Of course, incense, oils, um, depending too on what culture you come from. Some practitioners like to burn incense during all rituals, all spell work, anytime they're reaching out. I like to burn incense as well, particularly the incense that I had whenever I burned the hole in. <laughs> I can't, every time I think about this, it just makes me laugh because we're sitting around my mom. My, so I'm going off on a tangent now. My mom, my aunt, my grandma and I were reading tarot, sitting around the table, and I'm not even paying attention, and the ash just falls right onto the tablecloth, and I mean, it burns perfect little holes in it. Oh my gosh, that's just such a great memory. Um, anyway, so it, I, I burn the in, that incense, and it's a, a specific incense that I got in central Pennsylvania, uh, that I've been able to find a couple places around um, that I just love. And it always reminds me of that moment. I feel like when I light that incense, there's a little chuckle inside because, oh yeah, this is the the hole in the tablecloth and I'm glad it was just a hole and it didn't catch fire. Uh, but incense as well is incredibly useful 
when you are communicating or using divination via smoke part of your practice as part of your practice um also you might want to consider on your altar putting offering bowls trays plates and making offerings in those or on those and that's a great way of showing them that we're keeping their memory alive they're still part of us many will offer favorite foods and drinks of ancestors if you have any pieces of jewelry or um stones that your ancestors wore. I mean, my I wear my Grammy's ring, my turquoise ring. I would say 360 of the 365 days of the year. And in fact, many of you listening have probably commented on that ring before when I've done like stories or live videos that you've seen. Almost every time someone will say, oh, that ring is gorgeous. That ring is gorgeous. But I will put that on my altar along with the mint, of course. Uh, and you can also put items that are found in nature that somehow connect you to those ancestors. And again, it might not be blood ancestors, but it could be those spiritual ancestors that you've learned about, that you've researched about, that you know what herbs are associated with them, what flowers are associated with them, what what food, what drinks, what types of offerings. You can get to know those spiritual ancestors as well. So there is a way to work again with your ancestors without knowing or wanting to work with your blood ancestors. And then once you've started, you know, setting up this altar, you're showing them that you're making an effort to establish that connection. You're opening yourself up to communication um, and you're ready to take that step. And especially during this time of year, they know that, they see that, they hear that, they sense it, they feel that from the other realm. So now that you have that space, if you have an altar space, a dedicated space to your ancestors, you can come to that space now as a place of meditation, a place to just think, a sacred space to remember them, a place to communicate. And you can communicate with your ancestors anywhere, anytime. But when you come to that altar, when you come to that sacred space, they know that you're you're ready and you're getting down to business. You want to work with them. And so the next step is just ask them. Ask them if they're ready, if they want to work with you. Tell them your intent. Remember, have that intent. And ask to connect to them and see if you get any signs or even a sense of feeling in your body or the the air shifts, it gets cooler, it gets warmer, the candle flickers, some sort of sign that they are wanting to work with you. And you can also do this through a guided meditation. You know I love my Insight Timer app, um, but a guided meditation where you're asking to see them within that meditation and they show themselves to you. An ancestor steps up that tells you they want to work with you. So um, what was I What was I saying? Oh, yeah. So when you sit down, light the candle, light that incense or a scent, um, hold on to those objects that have meant something to your ancestors or whoever it is you want to connect with and talk to them. Speak to them like you would talk to a friend about anything at all. Um, I talk I talk to Grammy all the time. I talk to my Nana peeps. I talk a lot to my ancestors. And the act of communicating is an offering, is considered an offering um, by many. I, I think it is as well. 
So you can ask questions like, how would you like to be remembered by me? Is there anything you'd like as an offering? Uh, If you feel comfortable, would you walk with me and guide me through this practice? Is there anything you want me to do for you? Can you give me a sign? Can you speak to me? You can ask all of those questions and see what comes to you. And I I would just sit, close your eyes, ask some of these questions. After each question, sit quietly, listen, sense and write down any response that pops into your head or that you hear or any sign that is coming to you. It's just so important to to speak directly with them. And honestly, if it's the first time you've reached out to communicate with them, it's probably not the first time they've been trying to communicate with you. Chances are they've been in your life many times and you just haven't realized it. Oh, there's the the um recycle, the recycling truck is out there now. I bet that's why Reese was barking. They were probably coming around the block. (laughs) Um, But anyway, uh, after you've reached out for communication, yeah, chances are they've reached out to you before. They've presented you with signs. They've presented you with messages. Maybe you've never noticed, but now that you're sitting down and you're asking for signs, you might recognize, oh, that was a sign from my ancestor. Oh, that was a sign from my spiritual ancestor. And that door is open now. You've reached out to them. You can expect a reply. It might not happen right away, but, you know, it can. And then signs that come from the other side with your ancestors, it might not be direct words. Uh, They might come to you in dreams. A lot of my ancestors come to me in dreams. In fact, um, most, most ancestors have come to me through dreams. Sometimes during guided meditations or meditation or moments of quiet, I'll just get this like hit like, oh, oh, Grammy's here with me. Um, but oftentimes they come to me in dreams and it's common. It's common for them to speak to us in dreams, especially our genealogical ancestors. Um, it's just a direct way to get to you. And don't disregard your dreams. We especially shouldn't when our ancestors pop up. Uh, tarot and oracle cards, any, really any form of divination. And if you're specifically sitting down and asking your ancestors to join you for a session of divination, uh, this is when you might hear from them. You might feel a tangible shift in the room. You might feel a presence next to you, behind you, behind your shoulder. Pay close attention. Those could be your ancestors. And then, of course, seeing signs. If you've asked them for a particular sign and you know what that is and you've started to see those signs or see a sign that relates to them, like popping up everywhere, like for me, seeing mint everywhere. Oh, Grammy. Okay, Grammy, I'm listening now. Um, Pay attention to those things. And remember, I would record everything Record those dreams, record any readings where you're asking to work with ancestors, record any pattern, <coughs> excuse me, oh, that cough came out of nowhere, any pattern of communication, um, record it, come to your ancestor altar, try to connect with them. But again, this might take some time, so be patient. As I said before, it's at the very beginning, it's not a one-off thing ancestral work is a long journey. It's something you're constantly going to be growing. It's going to evolve. You're going to explore. You're going to meet different ancestors, new spiritual ancestors, genealogical ancestors. Um, You might have one that you really work with over and over again. 
that, that, and then others that just pop in and out of your life. So it's, it's a journey. So I hope that that was helpful. I think it was a little more detailed than my last episode about working with ancestors, but this is the time. They are ripe um, for interaction right now. The veil is thin. It, it felt thin early this year. Who thinks that? I mean, the veil started thinning earlier than usual, I think, this year. I'm not sure why, but there's just a lot of activity and the veil is thinning. And it's, I mean, it is pretty much lifted at this point. That's how I'm sensing it, at least. And this is the time to work with those ancestors. Um, something that I always like to do is go to the gravesite of my ancestors when working with them this time of year, clean off the stones, do some weeding, maybe plant some flowers, check on the grass, If especially if they're at a place where they don't upkeep the grounds very well. Go, go and just talk to them there at the cemetery. And, you know, speaking of that, I want to just quickly touch about cemetery etiquette because I did have a listener email me about uh, etiquette this time of year and going into a cemetery. And I know that many, there are many people who say, oh, you know, you shouldn't go into a cemetery, especially during Samhain because the veil is so thin and there are entities could, could, you know, bond to you and, and all of this. But I just want, I want to say, and again, this is my personal experiences and my personal opinion, our, the spirits, ancestors, spirits, anyone who has passed on, whether we know them or not, typically there are a lot of spirits of place. The, The residual energy and spirits like to stay in places they have known, their homes where they've lived most of their life, even their work, their place of employment. Um, when I don't, I, I, I personally don't feel like our past loved ones want to hang out at the cemetery. They're going to want to hang out at our homes, our family homes, at family gatherings, um, even ones we don't know are going to want to hang out elsewhere, not necessarily in a cemetery where their physical body is resting, not their their spiritual body, their physical body is resting there. And so I think it's a really great place to connect with our ancestors because that physicality, the physical body is there. And a good, yes, we can talk to them. We can connect with our ancestors or any spirits anywhere. But I, I personally don't think that spirits hang out at cemeteries just waiting like lurking at cemeteries just waiting to latch on to us um that's just not personally I don't think that's a place that they they want to be because that's their where their bodies are resting and again that's my opinion that's my thoughts (laughs) that's just my I guess my rational way of thinking through this about about spirits, spirit work, and cemeteries. However, do I protect myself when I walk into a cemetery? You better believe it. Absolutely. Because there are still spirits there. I protect myself really when I go anywhere. But yes, cemeteries can be more active <laughs> than other places. But 
I just wanted to throw that out there just to think about um, we don't need to be so afraid of cemeteries that we don't visit them. We should definitely practice cemetery etiquette. We should not walk on other people's grave sites. I firm, I've always believed that um, unless it's our family and we have permission to do so. Stick to the paths. I also feel that if there is a funeral or some sort of sacred ceremony going on in a cemetery, we need to steer clear, stay away from that, come back at another time. That's just basic etiquette, basic respect. I do feel it is important, though, to protect ourselves. And you can do this um, by doing a visualization before you go in with a protective bubble around you. You can do this by wearing some protective jewelries or some sort of protective um, charm. It's completely up to you. I do think that we should have some protection, especially as the veil is thinning really everywhere. We should be putting our guards up a little bit more. But I'm taking a whole group of, of people to a local sacred space and we're doing a silent cemetery walk next Sunday. And we are going to talk about cemetery etiquette and we're going to talk about not taking, of course, you don't take anything from cemeteries, um, but we are going to walk around with a stone in our hands and we are going to protect ourselves, but we're also just going to honor those bodies that are resting there. And we're going to honor those who've passed on that are buried there just by a dumb walk, by a quiet walk through the cemetery. I know we've all done the dumb suppers, but we're going to do a silent walk. I've decided to do a silent walk as part of this um, Samhain Cemetery walk. I'm also doing an ancestor workshop before it. So I wanted to talk, yeah, a little bit about cemetery etiquette. Just don't, don't be rude like you would be at any if you're going to a new person's home treat a cemetery that way you're not going to take anything you're going to be respectful you're going to say hello when you walk in you're going to stick to the path you're going you're not going to go in rooms that you are unwanted you're not going to go walk through all the bed people's bedrooms you're going to stick to the living room you know so stay to the paths protect yourself be respectful. That's really all there is to know about cemetery etiquette. You don't need to perform an elaborate ritual before you go into a cemetery. Again, my personal experience and view of it. So I hope you have learned some things today with working with your ancestors, um, connecting with them, how we can start to connect with them, um, and knowing that it's different for everyone. So here are key takeaways. Ancestor work is different for everyone. That's one. Two, ancestor work does not have to be work with your blood ancestors. You can work with your spiritual ancestors. That's takeaway number two. And takeaway number three I had in my head, but I forgot what it was. So whatever you take away from it, you take away from our chat today. Oh, it, it's a journey. It's not a one, a one-time thing. Ancestor work is a journey. And then whatever other takeaways that you have. I've really enjoyed this chat. I've enjoyed talking about ancestor work. It's something that is dear and close to my practice and something that I enjoy. As you can tell, there's an excitement as I talk about it in this episode. 
And if you have any questions, just let me know and let me know what you think of this topic. And let's move on to our card pull of the week. All right, I know a lot of you really enjoyed the card pull from last episode, so I am going to pull from the same deck. It's the Solitary Witch Oracle by Lucy Cavendish. The artwork is by Lady Tor, um, whose artwork I just absolutely adore. And it's Lore, Wisdom, and Light Through Magical Path. And if you remember, each card has a small narrative, a little story before it gets into the meaning, which I just really love. And I'm doing something a little bit different today. I don't do this. You know, typically I just randomly choose a card and the cards 98% of the time (laughs) seem to line up with the content of the episode. But I was looking through the cards this morning and the one that popped out for me right away was Ancestors and Apples. And so I'm not going to choose a card. I just want to share that card with you today because it is so connected to this episode. And this card, it's beautiful. You have a a, a, a young witch and there's some sort of fae above her and she's pull, the witch is pulling an apple off of a tree. There's a little bunny rabbit. There's some mushrooms. You see some other whimsical, magical creatures flittering about, but it's the ancestors and apples card. And so I want to just read this to you. And if you hear any like scratching in the background, I'm sorry, that is River and Reese. I think they both want in here. You know what? I'm just going to open the door and let them in while I read this to you. And they can be part of our little podcast, the end of our podcast today. Apples and Ancestors. As Samhain approaches, she gathers the apples from the witch's orchard, thinking all the while of the ancestors. She lets them come to her as the veils thin, allowing her thoughts to become theirs so she can hear their voices and heed their wisdom. She will feed the ancestors with the witch apples, and as she peels them and turns them into pies, casts spells with them, and places them at the crossroads or where the fairy places are, she gives thanks for all those who came before her, those who planted the trees, the gateways to the other worlds, and those who lived in darker times, who kept the wisdom of the old blood and the old ways alive." She knows that now the sun's power will ebb, the night's dominance begins, and the harvests will dwindle until she must live and work with what has been stored, rather than what can be taken from the outside. So you too must prepare. What are you storing, not only within your magical work, but within yourself? What ancestral wisdoms would you do well to heed? What can you offer to them? What can you give thanks for? And what can you plan to leave behind when you are no longer in the same form your soul has taken this lifetime? At this time, honor those who walked the path before you, the teachers, those loved, those you feared, for all have led you to this place. Listen to the whispers from beyond the graves and feed those who dwell between the worlds. Store and plan, preserve and prepare, and know that your harvest must come from inside you as much as it will come from good Mother Earth herself. 
The meaning behind this card is the deceased loved ones, gratitude for the past, memories, visions, ancestral wisdom, DNA, family, blood, traditions, inheritance, and our spiritual family, the harvest and what we offer from it. I just love that. I I really do enjoy this deck and guidebook because you get those little narratives. It's like there's a story with every card and you can see the witch pull the apple off the tree and make the apple pie and, and offer and serve it to her ancestors. I just think it's so magical. It's so whimsical and I just love it. So thank you all for being with me for episode number 50. This was a long episode today, but one that I was excited to record. I love talking about ancestors, and I'm so glad I got to share some fun things with you all, news of the book and news of a potential trip, which is great. Um, I'm trying to go in. Oh, here we go. So I want to do a shout out. Uh, for a couple of reviews the last few weeks. So love the vibe said a pleasing podcast listened to her first episode and found it focused informative and engaging and you recommend so thank you so much cap kaput lack I don't know if I'm saying that right. You are someone who's new to your practice and this show is so helpful to learn. Um, you started at the beginning and have binged And the messages come across as informative without superiority. It's knowledgeable and nurturing and safe. And that's exactly, thank you. That means a lot because that's exactly what I want. I want um, the tone to be. Let's see, Slay0830, you found this podcast a few weeks ago and have been hopping around episodes to learn as much as you can. Um, And you've been struggling as a stay-at-home mom to find purpose, and this has just been really helpful for you. And SPE2C, the podcast is a whole vibe, so thank you. Thank you for that. And I want to thank you all for listening to the podcast, and I want to thank all of my Patreon subscribers. Your support means so much. You can join my Patreon at patreon.com slash witch for extra um, goodies every month. In fact, I'm about to send out this week a Samhain um, ancestor walk guided meditation that's narrated by me. So that'll be going out along with, you know, all of your other Samhain. You've got your dumb supper ritual and other good things. But yes, to support me, please rate, review, share this podcast, tell others about it. I thank all of you so, so much for being here. And until next time, stay comfy, cozy, and witchy.